Oh, most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the, uh, the wonderful sound of people engaged with other people, loving on people, um, demonstrating the love of Christ in, the, in and through the lives of those people that they intersect with and particularly where we intersect with at, here at church, Father. We pray now that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, lead and guide us in all wisdom, that we would hear the truth clearly and apply it in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, the, again, the, the book we are reading from is called Do You Believe? Twelve Historical Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life by Paul Tripp. Um, we are on chapter 20, but this is like uh, class 26 or 27. So we've been here a, a bit, and so I, I kind of did it a little bit different. Um, I've done less entries by Paul Tripp, less, less little excerpts, and more critical thinking, and maybe some additional uh, reading out of the Bible as well to get that critical thinking pump uh, going here. Uh, last week, Pastor Pete taught on sanctification, and as uh, uh, we follow Paul Tripp's pattern, um, we do deal with the doctrine, and then we figure out how the doctrine is applied in every, everyday life. I considered making this an opportunity to bring up the board and teach you about biblical counseling and how you apply sanctification and what does it look like to actually be sanctified and how do you come alongside the the Lord's work and I thought you know what I'm going to just stick with the uh, script with what he's going with here and just see if we can't have a little bit higher understanding a little higher view of what he's talking about sanctification in, in everyday life and then if there's ever a, a time when Pastor Pete's supposed to teach Sunday school and, and when he doesn't have, you know, he's got a, he's sick, I'll just throw that down as the, what we'll use uh, later on. So with that in mind, we have uh, uh, sanctification everyday life. Uh, do we have the mic? Mike Mark, do you have the mic? Mike Mark. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and read. And you can see that I've got some uh, questions uh, listed there as challenges or questions or stuff along that lines as we go through this today. So, Mark, wherever you want to start. I guess we're starting in the back today. Yeah, you yeah, can. Try to avoid it. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. That, good job, Mark. Yeah. Mix it up a little Very bit. Sneaky. And uh, By the way, if you're not comfortable talking in public, whatever, just pass the mic. Tell Mark, no thank you, and send it down the row. So, but not you, Stephen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there ahead. is no such thing as passive Christianity. Yeah, yeah. God wants so much more for us than we tend to want for ourselves. He wants us to actually become partakers of his divine nature. It means that right here, right now, you and I serve as a dissatisfied redeemer. He looks on us with eyes of love, knowing that we are not yet experiencing all that is ours as his children. His relationship to us is anything but passive. He's active in every moment of our lives to continue to form the likeness of his son in us. His dissatisfaction is a call for us to be dissatisfied too. His constant sanctifying activity on our behalf is a welcome and a call for us to be active as well. His purpose is our purpose. His work is our work and his goal for us needs to be our goal for ourselves. Galatians 5 is particularly helpful here as it lays out God's agenda for us. All right, before you read that uh, verse um, and those in the Bible there, I hope that, and I believe he intended it to be a shocker when you read, we serve a dissatisfied redeemer. I mean, whoa, what do you mean? 
You know, God's perfect. He can control it all. Of course he's satisfied with everything. Well, no. Uh, what this is t- designed to do is to grab us and realize that, and we as parents realize this, and you, we as kids realize it about our parents later on as we grew up and realized that our parents weren't as dumb as we thought they were when we were younger. And that is that if they left us, if they were satisfied with whatever we, wherever we were in our journey of maturity, we would have been lacking um, so much in our understanding of, of life and how it works and our worldview, in particular our biblical worldview. So this dissatisfaction is what he's talking about. God doesn't leave us. A lot of the, you see the progressive, and he's going to talk about this, the progressive mindset today is just you do you and I'll do me. Blech. Uh, how about we just do what God calls us to do? He's seen how he's the designer and God loves us enough to show us not only that we made in his design, but this is how we're supposed to function within that design. So that's what he's getting at when he's talking about dissatisfied, a dissatisfied redeemer. So with that, Megan, will you go ahead and read the Galatians 5.16 and then jump over to 22 to 25? Okay. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, that's 16, no, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Interesting. Look at 25 again, that, that verse. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The idea of keeping in step is that you're, it's, it almost conjures up, for me anyways, not just a walk, that we're walking in the same cadence, but also almost a dance. And I'm, I'm getting a little playful here with the idea that a dance requires that someone lead and someone follow to be able to dance well. If you have two leading, you're going to be all over each other's toes. The idea is that we get in step with him. We're allowing him to lead and us to follow his lead. We're walking by the spirit and not by sight. What we determine is, is right or wrong in God's eyes, meaning, or, or what I should say in our eyes, but rather looking to God to de- determine that and what it looks like in the sanctification process. Okay, with that, let's go ahead and continue reading. The doctrine of sanctification is a call to a spiritual work ethic. No, we are not working for a greater acceptance with God. In Christ, our acceptance is complete, but we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.12. So we, oh, excuse me. So in holy awe of the one who lives within us, working to radically change us, we make his work our life's work, and we do this with joy and not with grief. Where do we do this work? Wherever we are. Every day, each situation, each location, each relationship, each new challenge, each trial, each situation, and each decision is an opportunity to take one more step on the road to the likeness of Christ. Okay, um, let's go ahead and jump on to the, uh, the next topic. The church is essential. 
The ministry of the church is an important tool in the hands of the Redeemer to continue to advance the saving work he has begun in us. If you recognize in yourself the presence and power of remaining sin, and if you humbly acknowledge that you need to grow in Christ-likeness, then you are confessing your need to take advantage of everything that the church offers you. The Apostle Paul clearly captures for us the essential sanctifying ministry of the body of Christ. So, before we get there, I would say that my understanding of Christianity was seriously lacking for a lot of years as a young Christian because I was in a church where the, the, uh, taught, the, the theology was liberal, to say the least. The, very rarely would you go to the Word of God. It was what somebody said, and then that, the sermon wouldn't be made up of psychology and what this person said or what have you. And so my view, I came into, Cindy and I were searching for, and we didn't even know what it is. We couldn't put our finger on it. But what we came to find out later on is that we had an extremely low view of the church and its role in the life of the Christian. Church was something that you did to honor God, but at the same time, it felt like we were merely checking a box. We didn't intend that. We wanted to avoid that. But because the church wasn't robust and vibrant, we're going to look at how, why that is and what that looks like, it gave a wrong view, a low view of the church. And if you have a low view of the church, you will be that tired Christian that is always running on empty. Uh, there's a chance of it anyways. So let's read some of these scriptures. We've got Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Okay. Rather, yeah, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in, unto Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that the, it builds itself up in love. Okay, so leave your finger there, and then uh, uh, the next person read First Timothy three fourteen to 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to have behaved in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess the ministry of godliness. You can stop right there. Okay, the, the key that, are, which is the church of the living God, and what is the church? A pillar and buttress of the truth. So the challenge that I want to see if we as a body of Christ can come up with um, is what are some of these functions? The, the question is posed this way. Name some ways God uses the church. Remember, that's the bride of Christ. The mechanism he uses, the means by which he uses to bring about sanctification. Oftentimes we think of sanctification as just my journey with God. 
And this is saying, yeah, no, that's not that. So let's see if we can't, and uh, Mark, you'll be on the, where are you, Mark? Okay, you're going to be on the go here on this one. Name some ways God uses the church to bring about sanctification. And there's, there's lots of little ones that we overlook, so please don't think like I'm looking for just the perfect answer. There's lots of ways. Anybody? I've got you in the morning. You may not be caffeinated completely yet. Um, hopefully, uh, some will start. There we go. All right, we got so this is okay, just a quick one. Um, in Hebrews 10, it talks about the, that we exhort one another in the church. And so that, that's a way that sanctification occurs. Wonderful. You just hit on the one another's. Oh, my goodness. Has anyone ever done the study on the one another's in the Bible? The one another's are a beautiful way the church interacts with the church to bring about sanctification, to bring about love. Um, we got Wayne and then uh, Mark, your wife says she doesn't need a mic, but we still want to hear her on the mic because other people can hear her then. Go ahead. I think we have an effect on each other just as the world has an effect on us. When we're living in the world, we, we end up uh, 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 being affected by it, and, and we have a lot of that. When we're together on this journey of sanctification with other people who are sanctified, it affects the way we behave, yes, but the way we think, it has that effect on us too. That's good. All right. Um, we'll go with uh, Carol, and then we'll go... Uh, with our friend with the hand going crazy over here, Gary. <laughs> I was thinking of the preaching of the word because that's the way that we learn what God tells us and what he wants us to do. And then I was thinking also of our prayer for one another, whether it's corporate or not. So I think those are both ways that we are sanctified. Absolutely. A church that doesn't pray together is a church that really doesn't hold up prayer as a means by which God brings about the change or, or engages th those in need. Go ahead. And I think the church helps me, I'll say that, become like the Bereans. I'm, I'm searching the, the scripture uh, a lot more than I ever have before in my life. It's good. Um, just be right to you. Um, <laughs> just, just, that's I had her first. No, I mean, you know. <laughs> um, so just, um, just really worship the worship of God. Going through the liturgy every Sunday is a, um, you know, historically this is one of the uh, the greatest ways that the church has discipled its members. Um, you know, so we read the word, hear the word, sing the word, pray the word. You know. Yeah. Um, so we're saturated with the truth, and we humble ourselves before the greatness and majesty of God. We worship him, you know, for who he is and all his attributes, right? And as we do that, we're humbled. We, you know, it, it purges us um, as the Spirit gets a hold of us. Amen. Oh. Yeah. Look, oh, look, at you got dissed again. <laughs> yeah. and, and I would say to... to I would say to branch out with the men and women's ministry also, so it's not just on Sunday, but other days during the week and uh, during the month, where uh, I know both men and women's ministry have a prayer section. The women use prayer cards that are used during the, week, the month, and the, the men um, go into smaller groups to pray. So those extra opportunities, and even things like baby showers, there are some times where I have seen two ladies off to the side 
and they're talking about something that one of them needs to be encouraged with. So mm. those are more spontaneous things that the Lord just puts there for you. Amen. <laughs> Almost, nice. Kaylin, one second. Nice. Very nice. Uh, I was just going to say that we publicly proclaim at each of our member meetings a covenant Mm. that we will not forsake the assembling of each other, uh, of ourselves at, at church, that we will religiously train our children, that we will uh, deny ungodliness, contribute cheerfully of our property. So even giving tithes and offerings, I think, contribute to this sanctification and um, till death strive to live to the glory of him. And I think that all of those things that we say publicly that we will do for each other all fall within that category of commitment to the church and sanctification. That's wonderful. As the mic is making its way over to Kaylin, you know something that this church is unique about in our journey, sitting on my journey, is we act like a family. Maybe it's because we're small enough. Maybe it's because we move slow enough. Maybe it's because we don't expect perfection, but we love and encourage people. We, we act. To come here is to come and engage the family with all the family history and baggage that comes with family and to love the family and move the family through that. As a, as a, a young man who appreciated being in a family with nine siblings, love family. And when you come here and it feels more like, get in, get out, you're missing family. Come, let's talk. The, the holy hum, you know, I almost, you know, it was 901 and I'm saying, come on, people, we got to get going for Sunday school. That holy hum, that holy means, uh, in this sense, I'm talking about the set apart, the uniqueness, the, the love of Christ being, uh, whisp- not whispered, but the, 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 the conversations that are taking place as we lead into Sunday school are just beautiful. They're just part of being a family. And, and they're just, you need it. You need the encouragement. Go ahead. I find the relationships made with people in the Hang on, I, I cannot, uh, can you just pull a little closer? It, it may have d- dropped out. Jake, did it drop out? Okay. I find that yes. the relationships made with people in the church when lived outside of the church tend to be extremely sanctifying for me. Like for instance, having coffee with your wife, but that is one of the most delightful experiences because seeing her godliness makes me more inspired mm. to likewise become like that. And back when our dear sister Olivia lived here in Arizona, going out to do evangelism with her, it was seeing her courage that made me have more courage to share the good news of Christ. Mm. But then we would have conversations afterwards, and she would tell me that it was my courage to share the gospel that gave her the courage to do it. And so we didn't even know that we were each feeding on each other's love for God in the way that we were. So just building the relationships with the people in church has made me so much more Christ-like than I ever thought was possible. Amen. That's wonderful. Kaylin, the one who came to us at age 16, on her own, said, Mom and Dad, I'm going to find another church. And here she is. Mom and Dad, she went under their authority, and they said, yes, that's fine. And God bless you for being a part of this church. Go ahead, Jim. As we step out in any ministry activities together in faith, um, in prayer, watching God work through us is a tremendous faith builder. Amen. Amen. 
I'm I'm hanging here a little bit just so we have a higher view of church. Church isn't, we all know this, church isn't a box. But church is the place where we come on Sunday morning to worship. And in that worship, God is feeding us through all of these different ways and giving us the nourishment, the spiritual, the physical, the emotional, the the soul, uh, energizing. I'm, I'm trying to stay away from churchy new words. Uh, 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 you know, new age church uh, kind of stuff. But my point is this. If you see the church as a box, you're missing. You're missing the, the whole point. We, we act as a family. We love on each other. We draw from each other. I worship differently on Sunday, partly because I worship corporately on Sunday. I, there's something I can't attain on my own. When I hear the angelic-like Voices. I'm giving you guys credit. I hopefully it's due credit <laughs> of the church. It draws my soul into a different place with the Lord and appreciation for the family of God that I, I can't achieve on my own. It's just what the church, who the church is. It's a, a state of being, I guess. There was some, someone else. With, oh, there you go, PJ. Yeah, I was just thinking about um, <clears throat> this from maybe like a, a temple and priesthood aspect. If we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, if we're a temple of God and we have, are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, I want to go where the most Holy Spirit is. And <laughs> that's thing. where the congregation. And I would say if, if then by being um, ones who communicate with God and bring it to the world, we're priests and we're made to be ruling priests. Um, I, I think of this passage in Colossians 3. Verse 12 starts off by saying, um, put on then as God's chosen ones. So talking to God's chosen ones. In verse 15 it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Um, and so there's this, this teaching aspect that, yes, there's pastors, there are people who have been specially called, but the reality is I have been taught this day by the previous eight priests who have all taught on what God would have me to hear from his scripture informed by the Holy Spirit. So just the, the bringing together of people is, is the closest to God's final version of kingdom I can experience on earth. And it is the most in the presence of God, which will, um, as Wayne and others have said, push away the slavery to the world and sin and instead focus on my slavery to Christ because it's, it's just at its peak. It's in its most density. Um, and then I will also add, doing, being obedient in and of itself has its own sanctifying value as well, mm. just by um, obeying. So the scripture you read was another one another passage. Um, which was neat, and I love how you gave us this this beautiful imagery and a reminder of kingdom. That's what church reminds us of. We're part of the greater kingdom, and we kind of forget that. And we come into the presence, and we go, this is God's kingdom. This is is how he designed it to be, and this is what we're supposed to be doing as we're we're growing, and then we're taking it, and we're expanding during the rest of the week outward, his kingdom outward. What a, uh, you know, I didn't even think of kingdom... Uh, paradigm, but that's beautiful. It's dead on. Rob Roy? Yeah, I appreciated the uh, temple reference because there's a few things to kind of pull out of it. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Through him then let us, 
continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. He goes on to say, to obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then one of the benedictions that is common, God's blessing speaking to us, also comes from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who bought you again, from, brought you from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's God speaking to us and giving us the, the, the promise of his sanctification. But the temple thing is important. We're giving an, an offering, a sacrifice of praise. You mentioned that it's something that individually we're not able to do in a way that we're able to do corporately. And we do talk about the benefit that we get out of it from sanctification. But I want to flip it for just a second. While all that's true, primarily that's not the reason. Sure. When we come together, worship is magnified. And the point is that God is worth it. He deserves praise. He deserves our individual praise, and he deserves the praise of us all being together. Because when we're together, our individual worship is multiplied. And also, we bear one another's burdens. So the burdens that we have are lessened. So we share the burdens and divide those up so that they're less. But our worship is magnified so that it's more than it is individually. So the whole Bible and me under a tree um, falls flat in just about every verse that you hit from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Certainly heaven will not be spent like that. So if we're praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we certainly wouldn't want to be disconnected from the church, which is heaven on earth. Amen. Amen. Well stated. Okay, let's continue on. Sanctification gives marriage, parenting, and friendship a new model and purpose. What do you think is going to happen when you put a sinner next to a sinner in a fallen world and in an intense personal relationship? In all of our relationships, we have all experienced the messy disappointment of God's plan since none of us have been, has been in a relationship free of disappointment. If God's sole purpose for our relationships is our comfort, pleasure, and ease, then he is a massive failure. Which God is not. So the question is there begged, um, why doesn't God perfect us in holiness immediately so that our relationships immediately resemble what he intended them to be? Again, another critical thinking type question. Why doesn't he sanctify us? Why doesn't he perfect us immediately? Go ahead, Mark. Well, I could say for the same reason he doesn't judge us for our sins immediately. Hmm. He's gracious God and for his own glory. Amen. Amen. If he would do that immediately, that then goes back to the first uh, paragraph. That's a passive type of thing on our part. Hmm. Sanctification is part of us, you know, a lot of us, okay? And it's kind of like your sermon about the quick way to uh, 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 Canaan and the long way to Canaan. It's the long way where we 
have a deeper relationship with him. And, and why do we? I'm going to kind of branch off of that. Why do we have a, d- a deeper relationship when we have to go the long way? What happens in that long way? Well, I depend on him. I, I surrender myself to him. Everything I am, it's all him. It's not about me. And the whole part of uh, one of the parts of your sanctification that Rob Roy brought up uh, on, um, what was that, Tuesday or Wednesday, is that it's less of me and more of him. Amen. That, that at, in the end of our sanctification process is all about Christ in me. It's not about me. I don't think. I'll, I'll hold the I think I got the next section. I'll hold the so one of the things that I'm learning in my marriage the longer I'm married to my wife, the more I appreciate her because the longer God has exposed me to my sin. Amen. Why would she stick around? Amen. Seriously. I mean, you sit there and you go, oh my goodness. I've been this bad and not seen it. I've been blind to it or I've been willful to it. And so that, these are the kind of things where we start to appreciate our God more. We start to uh, um, exalt him with greater deeper gratitude as he takes us on this slower journey of sanctification, meaning that the long road or the long way, um, and we, we start to see things, we're, we're exposed to things that we didn't even realize, and, and even not even just the, the sanctification is bad, the, the fact that he puts us in a situation and he tests us and we pass, and we go, oh, but, the, but for the grace of God, I know who I am. The only way I got through this is because the Holy Spirit's power got me through this. The last four times I faced this, I failed miserably. And so you're going, oh, thank you, Lord. You haven't given up on me. You are so faithful. You never leave me nor forsake me. All of these other aspects of who God is, is carried out through the slow process. So we, we still have parts of our heart are stone. All right. That's, yeah. that's how we're made up. Okay. And that long way exposes those areas in our heart mm. that is still stone. So we surrender those areas over to him to make them flesh again. Mm. So he could remold us, okay, in his image better. So it's a constant. For me, I think Pastor Pete last week, we have this loop-de-loop, okay, that we're, it's a, we're just constantly, every day, you know, we're exposed to parts of our heart that needs to be uh, changed. Amen. And, that's, and he's the only one that can change that. Amen. Hopefully, as we're talking through this, one of the goals of today is that you stop seeing sanctification as painful and you start seeing it as an opportunity to grow closer to God and more in the image of his son. Amen. It is painful. Oh. Especially when we're the one doing the sin to the ones we love. But at the same time, we have to see our hearts are active all the time. God created them active all the time. That activeness is God's created a a heart that is always seeking to worship something. If it's not worshiping God, it's worshiping something other than God. It's idolatry in motion. So with that understanding, then sanctification can't be passive. We are always, because our hearts are always active, we need to always be actively working by the power of the Spirit to worship God in all things. And praise be to God for that. We should see the, he loves us enough that he doesn't give us, we're not latchkey kids. 
He didn't say, here's the keys to the kingdom. Amen. Sit in front of the TV. I'll be back at the end of your life and I'll see how you did. Amen. Did Sesame, teach you, Sesame Street teach you enough? No. He says, I love you enough that I'm going to engage with you all the time. My presence. We're seeing that in the Old Testament. Presence, 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 presence. He's a God that because of our sin, we were separated. And then the rest of the Bible, he's pursuing us. He goes outside the garden and pursues us. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful God. Well, who, who was it? Okay. Uh, Gary, why don't you advance us to the next one? The doctrine of sanctification promotes the sanctity of everything. If God is working his ongoing work of salvation in every situation, location, and relationship of our lives, then everything is sacred. If God uses everything in our lives as tools of his heart and life transforming grace, then we constantly live on holy ground. Amen. If God, that's my input on that. Amen. (laughs) If God uses even the smallest of circumstances in our lives to move us closer to the likeness of Jesus Christ, then even the smallest moments are spiritually significant. Amen. Our entire existence is made holy and sacred because the Redeemer is not only present, but he is doing his holy, sanctifying work even when nothing seems holy about a particular moment. If we are God's children and objects of his constantly active, sanctifying grace, then there is no secular, unholy moment or just normal whatever moments in our lives. We have no divide in our lives between the secular and the spiritual. There is no moment when God is separate from us. There is no relation, there is no situation where he is inactive. There is no regular day when deeply spiritual things are not going on. God's redeeming grace never goes on hiatus. His sanctification His sanctifying love never takes a break. Everything is spiritual. Everything is sacred. Everything has Godward direction. Everything has redemptive significance. Everything. Mm. If I was at a a Pentecostal church, I'd be dancing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there we go. I have the holy dance. I have the holy dance yeah, right yeah. now, man. Can, can I just leave that in up here and I'm not actually witnesses down there? <laughs> that's good stuff. I mean, that is uh, solid. Okay. Amen. Let's uh, read First Corinthians six nineteen through 20 and then ten thirty one, And then we'll answer a question. First Corinthians six nineteen to twenty. You can do the second one. There's two right here. First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty. Or do or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have whom you have from God? You are not you are not on your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. All right, so he's talking about glorifying God in your body. And then jump over to 1031 in 1 Corinthians. He's going to make it even more broad. Oh, Sean, I thought you had that. 
Yeah, I can get it. <laughs> um, let's see, 1031. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So with that, the question is posed, how does this truth impact your time not spent at church? This, this, we, the tendency of uh, mainstream evangelical teaching on this topic is that happens here. And what does that mean when you're not here then? How does this truth impact your time not spent at church? It looks like Jamie's got a response. This is a psychological issue. Um, it's something that um, I, can, I can certainly appreciate my half of it. Uh, it's been said that the difference between guys and girls is that um, guys operate with many hats, and we take one off and put another one on as we progress through the various activities of our lives, and that we compartmentalize our, our lives. And then, um, I don't know, spe- speaking of women, uh, they tend to more unify everything. Everything is sort of working together. Um, but certainly, um, the idea of switching hats is very familiar to me. And it's something we have to fight um, mm-hmm. as we think about putting God in everything in our lives. Amen. There cannot be secular part of your life and Christian part of your life is what this is saying. Stop. If you were taught that like I was taught that, stop. That's, that's separating God from his temple, us, and particularly us as the church. Go ahead, Brandon. I was just going to mention there's some, like, I don't know, leisure activities, right, or hobbies and things like that, that, like, I have friends from work, and there's a common interest there, and it opens up an opportunity for, like, sharing God's word or, you know, the, um, I don't know, with people who are lost, you know. So I was just thinking of, like, the secular side of things, but also, like, being, it's a good reminder that, you know, do everything to the glory of God. You know, if you're doing a leisurely activity with an, a, a friend that's not a believer, then you can use that as a ministry opportunity too. Amen. Amen. Let me, let me just paraphrase what the next section was. I can see I forgot to bold it on your page on the back side. The, the, the category is difficulty is a primary sanctification tool. I, wanna, I think we all understand that. I want to jump down and ask a question. What percentage of your life was sanctified through difficulty versus ease? Just throw out percentages. What percentage of your life was sanctified through difficulty versus ease or not? I'll just say whatever isn't difficult. If if ease is too much, too far of a a bridge to cross. Um, Anybody want to throw that out? um, Let's get get the mic going. Where's where's, uh, Mark? There he is. Sorry, Mark. I got you moving, brother. I got you on the run. Sorry. Um, 100%. 100% difficulty. Okay. Um, anybody else? Uh, Rob Roy's right there. We got Gail. Oh, I'm always in front of Rob Roy. <laughs> What'd she say? I don't want to go after him. <laughs> um, no, I, percentage wise, I've, 
Dennis and I just looked at each other and went, (laughs) 99% maybe, I don't know, 100%. That's where the sanctification comes from. And we just looked at each other and thought of his accident that happened seven months when we were married. And I mean, we've been married almost 30 years now, but I, it took, yeah, it took me a few, it took me many years for God to bring me to the place where I could be thankful that that happened to us. Mm. And I am so thankful because he's sanctifying me. He's sanctifying us. You know, we, we, he teaches us how to love each other and how to love others. So I am thankful that we went through it. And that's one of the many things that we've gone through. <laughs> you know, I've said many times with other groups that if God were to take me back to the day before my accident and offer my legs back, I don't know what to do. So many great things have come out of that that I don't think we would have had or experienced or, or figured out, right? So, wow, what, what a statement of worship. Loving what God has done in the midst of that, that trial, saying God is good. I learned the truth that God is good even in my, our tragic situation. God is good. Robert. It's so true. What I'm going to say is counterintuitive, and I'll certainly leave it up to everyone to consider it. At first glance, the temptation is to say 80% of the sanctification comes from the difficulties that live through without um, listing them. But as I've given it more thought over the years... Some of that comes from focusing on the difficulties. Mm. The fact is, and I believe biblically, that our sanctification, the ordinary means of our sanctification, comes through God's ordained means of corporate worship, coming together. And in the Psalms, it says that I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord, right? And that's not difficult. That's not difficult at all. So when I think of the primary means of my sanctification, Coming to worship with the saints, that's comforting. Being in those times of trouble, but those burdens being shared, or comforting others, even as I've been comforted, that's a joy. And so, counterintuitively, as I look at it, I, I've come to think that 80, maybe 90% of my sanctification comes not from the difficult times, though those certainly work to that effect but it comes from the loving, caring, joyful times. Now, wouldn't know one from the other without the distinction between the two, so mm. it certainly has its, its benefit. But if I do it the other way, I, at least for me, I find myself, myself focusing on the difficult situations and the need for those to sanctify me, and that's, I don't think that's true. Um, so anyway, as I've been working it out, that's one of the things that I've been wrestling with and considering. That's good. So uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit and say <clears throat> at some level it's all because of difficulty. Uh, so to start with, like with a, hum- like a normal day-to-day example, I think, I think we aren't just being sanctified by our own difficulty. My proximity to Gary and Stephen going through what they're going through and Glenda bearing it, I am being sanctified by having proximity to how they handle difficulty. Um, 
but I think obviously the ultimately, if we look at like, the difficulty Christ had to bear being the reason for sanctification, being the source of sanctification, all of that. Um, so on, on some level, there is a, like when we continue to come to the Lord's Supper through the means of, of worship, and you realize the difficulty that was bared and our understanding proximity of that, it should be sanctifying us. And then, um, and then ultimately, I guess, so the, the counter to this would be when you consider what Christ bared, and to you consider what we've been purchased from the the second death like that that like this stuff is not difficulty this is this is this is everyday life is nothing compared to what we've been saved from and and what we were trudging ourselves towards um, or sprinting towards so um, to me I guess when I think of difficulty it can be easy to get into maybe self-pity or, you know, yeah, this is hard and I got to grit through it for sanctification. But to me, it's in light of what Christ has done, it's nothing. And then at the same time, we need to fully acknowledge the complete difficulty of Christ having his father turn his face away and give him the full wrath of his punishment because of our sin. So to me, it, there is difficulty involved. It's just not my difficulty. <laughs> Good. That's it. You know, this last... 45 minutes, and I'm going to close us in prayer. What you've heard is the church being the church. I just merely facilitated the discussion. The church gave unto the church perspectives that not one individual own, owns, per se, but as I listen to Rob or if I listen to PJ, if I, after, when I listen to, to Brandon and Gail and Dennis and all of, all of you speaking, it fills and gives me a, a more robust understanding of, my, of our mighty God and what he is doing in and through his sanctifying work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the church. We thank you that Christ, your son, died for his bride, the church. We thank you that the church is the means by which you work in and through to bring about sanctification, whether that be under the corporate worship or the, the, the very private conversations within the church between members, Father. You do the work in such a a beautiful, magnificent, Christ-exalting way. We thank you that you are a Savior that continues and will ever be pursuing us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.